Close to Home, where we share the topics that hit close to home as we manage the care needs of our local community with President and CEO Malik Joshi. Hello, and thanks uh, for joining us on Close to Home today. I am thrilled uh, to welcome Dr. Terry Fulmer here to Close to Home. Uh, I've been uh, honored to know Terry for quite a number of years. She is a just an incredible leader in healthcare, in nursing, but a great friend and colleague also. We really are just blessed to have her visiting Hagerstown today, and she's spending time with our teams and meeting with community leaders, and so we're just thrilled. So, Terry, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Malik. I love being here, and it's just wonderful to see all the excellence that's going on in the system. We appreciate it. So, Terry is the president of the John A. Hartford Foundation in New York City. So it's uh, an incredible foundation that has done so much work for decades in healthcare. So could you tell us a little bit about it? I'd love to. So the John A. Hartford Foundation, based in New York City, uh, is was founded by the two brothers, John and George Hartford, who were the founding presidents of AMP grocery stores. Mm -hmm. So the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company and their largest began uh, uh, way back in 1929 when they started the foundation. And early on and during the uh, years of grant making, the work was centered around such things as um, helping understand progress toward renal dialysis and some very uh, uh, cutting-edge scientific work. When NIH came into being, the foundation shifted and decided that they would dedicate their funds to improving the care and lives of older adults. And so they've been at it since the 80s, and, and the country and the world are better for it. And there's no doubt, and it's really an amazing story to go from the founding of A&P Grocery Store to if, if anyone who's in healthcare knows the John A. Hartford Foundation being a beacon for incredible, not just resource education, but impact yeah. in practice for older adults. So it's pretty cool. So we'll start with a couple of easy ones just oh, for good. fun. Okay. All right. Your favorite book that you've read recently? My favorite book was Empire Pain oh. by Keith. And that book gave me shivers because it talked about how the uh, industry that was responsible for opioid addiction uh-huh came into rural areas in particular, particularly coal mines in West Virginia, and gained access to pharmacies and began to, the Sackler family made a point to ensure that there would be addiction. And that's the, those were the era, that was the era when we talked about pain as the fifth vital sign, mm-hmm. and we are paying for that every single day since. And so uh, it was riveting. And I highly recommend it. I've read others, but that one is the one I wanted to bring up. It's an interesting book, and you bring up um, addiction and spread of negative things. And it's always a challenge, but you do it so well. How do you spread positive things in healthcare? And so we'll talk a little bit about age-friendly. Can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, what is age-friendly healthcare, and Uh, how do you spread that? Thanks, Malik. I love this topic, as you know. So age-friendly care is care that is evidence-based, causes no harm, and it's reliable. If there's one thing we need to do in the care of older adults and care in general, it's create our practice patterns which are reliable. You can count on an evidence-based intervention in every point of care and that there's consistency 
and that most of all that care is based on what matters to you as a patient and family. So our age-friendly health system momentum, which began in 2015, we call it a social movement, uh, is, has it, today we hit 3,000 locations of wow. care. So that's a very, very nice uh, turning point for us. And I'm happy to be here to celebrate that's with you on our 3,000th uh, uh, care site. Meredith is proud to be one of the 3,000. And, and to we're spread proud this. of you. Yeah. So when you think about age-friendly, what does it mean as a patient? What What's yeah. different if I'm in the hospital? Sure. Well, we focus on a set of care constructs we call the four M's. And those four M's are as follows. What matters to the older individual and their family, so there's M, what matters. Medications, mentation, your mood and memory, and mobility. What matters, medication, mentation, mobility. If you get those four things right, you will fundamentally get the next exponential dozen things right. Because as any of us as clinicians know, and what the public knows as well, is that if your medications are off, probably your mentation and your mobility will be as well. Mm -hmm. Any of us who have family members who've been on a medication that made them drowsy, that made them fall, that made them uh, not able to be as uh, active as they'd like to be, understand that this is a set. So age-friendly care is something that people can count on, and we've been working with WebMD and with NBC News to teach the public about this, and also a group called Next Avenue, where we want older people to come in to Meredith and say, are you an age-friendly health system? Because I deserve age-friendly care, and I demand age-friendly care. So we need the voice of the public, and we need our clinical teams to say, I know what that means, and I'm ready to partner with you to make that happen. So if you come to the emergency room, you want age-friendly care. You definitely do. And our, our foundation has all also um, made grants to the uh, American the uh, Emergency Physicians Association and the Emergency Nurses Association so that we have geri EDs, geriatric EDs. We call that an excellent on-ramp to age-friendly care because they are, they have created a certification to be a GRED. I think we're now in over like a thousand emergency departments, either who have completed or who are working toward it. And that's a very important way to uh, begin age-friendly care because once you're you have it in the ED, it spreads through the house. The house that's an old term. <laughs> and we emeritus are also proud to be a certified ED. I think it makes it is a it's a journey. As it you said, is. so I love we love the forums as we talk about, and the what matters, you know, is near and dear to all of us. So, if you are a patient at Meredith Primary Care and you go in, we ask you what matters to you. And today, twenty five thousand people in our my chart have what matters to them. Wow, twenty five thousand. If you go to my my chart, if you're my provider, you would see that what matters to me is I want to be healthy enough to play tennis every weekend. That's what matters to me. And we've got so many stories of people who want to be able to be around next year for their child's wedding or grandchild, uh, people who want them to understand how important their family is, and that's why staying sober is what matters to them. And it means a lot. So you might be coming in for your asthma or diabetes check, but what matters to you might be completely different. And we have to know that and take care of that as well. I love that, and you know, I think that that message is getting out, and we'll know we've hit a tipping point when our uh, all the people who come to Meredith start with that, and they say, "I'd like to tell you what matters to me," Absolutely. and when all of us in the clinical field say, "I'd like to hear it," 
and really act on it. You listen to it, and then you have to act on it, which is very, very important. And it is uh, challenging uh, for nurses, for example, because it changes. It does. And that can be something, so that life changes. And it's good to know that. It is good. When you have a relationship with someone. Yeah. So of your many other hats is also nursing. Yes. So we've had a pandemic. We're in a pandemic. We're getting to a different stage. Yeah. How has nursing fundamentally changed because of it? Yeah. I, nursing has changed the same way medicine has changed and social work has changed in that we have learned how to move through a horrific crisis and period of public health crisis uh, with uh, as much strength and dignity as possible. In the meantime, we have learned to really up our game on infection and uh, infection control, which we were doing okay, but not great. And now it's going to be indelibly embedded in the minds of every practicing clinician for the f- for their lifetime mm-hmm. and, and going forward. I think we've learned how to team better. We've mm-hmm. learned how to make sure everybody is working at the top of their licenses, everybody likes to say, and that's true. We've also shockingly learned that nursing homes are part of the health system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big surprise, mm-hmm. no surprise. But what happened during the pandemic, and I was in New York City, one of the coastal areas that got hit first, was all the PPE equipment and staff went to acute care. Mm. And my daughter, who happens to work in a nursing home, was there using garbage bags Mm. and reusing a mask for weeks at a time. It wasn't special to that nursing home. It was just what was going on at that time. And so I think that we've learned also about public health Mm -hmm. and the incredible, the essence of public health that has to be brought back in this country where we prevent epidemics like this instead of stand by and have to react. That's amazing. So nursing, you know, is the backbone of any healthcare organization. Yes, I do know that. You know that well, <laughs> and we know it. So what's your advice now for that aspiring student? Because they've seen the pandemic, they've seen the heroics, and it's yeah. an everyday thing we know, yeah. too. It's not just because of the pandemic. What's your advice? Because you, we know there's challenges still in terms of right. the pipeline. Yeah. So um, I think about it a lot. Uh, in New York City, I am an attending nurse at Mount Sinai. Hmm. And I uh, also have the great privilege of being an adjunct professor at the Mount Sinai School of Nursing where I teach students. And I I think that really listening to their reactions to the clinical experience while they're in school to prepare them and at the same time have their faculty engage in that clinical experience reflection so that we can understand where harmful interactions are happening and where Helpful interactions are happening. You hear about, um, uh, well, it used to be called pink collar violence and lateral violence in clinical care where a nurse might be unkind to another mm-hmm. nurse as sort of a hazing. And they're, they're, mm. I, I think that all of us need to be on guard to make sure that we eliminate hazing in our facilities, call it out, name it, say, I just saw you say something that is not all right, and please don't do that again, and help those younger nurses have their voice uh, and, and really think about how all of us in leadership positions can facilitate their day. It's vital. Mm. Turnover is the last thing we need. Absolutely. So the other, I don't know how to even frame this right, but 
in today's world, we have artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and technology and everything. But yet, healthcare is still human touch and connection. How do you see that playing in the future? Are we going to have more virtual programs? Are we going to have fewer nurses, more nurses? How is it going to work? We'll take each of those. All right. Okay, so let's talk about apps, avatars, and robots yes, and yeah. all of the tech that's going on. I welcome it. I embrace it. Okay. I think that every time we learn how to use technology to improve the care that we give, we win. And so I am all about technology. I'm about robots. And some people will challenge me on that and say, you have to have a person. Of course you have to have a person. There's a person behind every robot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, but, but we're seeing, even as simply as an Alexa machine, and what that means to older adults in terms of knowledge, getting new knowledge that they need, even if it's the weather, even if it's like, I'm taking this pill, can you tell me about it, Siri? That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So so we do have virtual nurses already uh, that are at the bedside. We also have telehealth, which is huge. And when the public health crisis is uh, sunsetted in May, mm -hmm. the issue will be whether that telehealth will continue to be right. paid for. And so there are groups like the American Telehealth Association, as well as the American Medical Informatics Association that are watching that closely. Because people like telehealth. It's very hard. Let's talk about country and city. So we'll start with country. Where I have a home, upstate New York, the closest hospital is an hour and 15 minutes away. Okay. That's close. If, if I'm in Idaho, it's a lot farther than that. Right. But that means that if I can be working with, the first responder will be a fire department. And if they have the ability to call in my symptoms, um, we're going to do a lot better. Mm -hmm. So I think it's mm -hmm. really valuable. In the city, think about an older person who might be on a, f say they're on the 14th floor. In order, f and there's, let's say they're on the west side of New York City, which people don't care about the side of the city, <laughs> but I'll tell you. They have to come down the elevator, get in the cab, go to the east side, and go into a waiting room. They're already exhausted, mm -hmm. and probably their blood sugar is dropping mm -hmm. as they wait. So we can do better. So really embracing these new yes, tools and techniques, completely. it's great. And, and we're seeing Japan do that, you know that. Yeah, yeah, that's impressive. All right, so let's end with a couple of easy, fun ones. Your favorite vegetable? Okay, I <laughs> thought about that. Um, uh, let's see, I would say corn on the cob. Corn on the cob, there's a first, okay, it is quite good. And your least favorite vegetable? Hmm, that's harder because I really love vegetables. Least favorite? Mm, radishes. Radishes, okay. You broke the streak because potatoes was the least favorite vegetable. Oh, I love all potatoes. Oh, so. <laughs> I love potatoes. Well, I, I really I really appreciate it. I mean, I think uh, if you don't know, I mean, Terry Fulmer is a leader in our country, and impacting care for older adults is a big deal. I really appreciate it when we think about we do things differently for kids. Why shouldn't we do things more customized and tailored for older adults? Everybody has needs that we need to address. So it's huge. Age-friendly healthcare, the consumer part of it is really exciting because we should expect that. And Meredith's Health is on the journey and we keep going, but we have lots of work to continue to do. But we appreciate that. What matters most to you matters to us. So I hope you all think about that when you go see your doctor. Talk about what matters to you in your life. Terry, thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us on Close to Home. No, it's gonna be